we're taking a few weeks, especially taking advantage of the fact that we haven't been able to be back together again physically like this, to just revisit the vision of the church and why do we exist and what is it we're called to do. So we're just taking two or three weeks, in fact, three weeks exactly, to do that. So uh, last week we looked at the vision of the church, we kind of unpacked that again, and uh, we saw that the vision comes right out of Isaiah 61, and it's about building a community of people who know who they are, who know what they've got, and who know who they're called to be. That's what last week was about. And today, I want to talk about the reason that we exist. I want to talk about our purpose. Because, you know, if you don't know your purpose, if we don't know our purpose as a church, we can become purposeless. We can lose our motivation. It can all feel a bit pointless. And we might as well just go and do something else with our lives. And I don't want us to do that. So that's why I want to talk about our purpose, our reason to exist. So let me start very big picture with the reason for any church to exist. According to Jesus, this is. The key purpose of any church is summarized in two of Jesus' commandments. Firstly, the great commandment, to love God and to love people. Secondly, in the great commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, both of which two greats combine to make a great church. Great commission, great commandment equals great church. And we see all these attributes in the Jerusalem church. If you went to, Jeris- if you went to the Jerusalem church, which you can read about in the book of Acts, particularly 2.42, you'll see that this is the biblical model. These five key reasons for existence, worship, fellowship, discipleship, serving others, and mission. Those are the five reasons any church must exist. And we're all signed up for these. Although there might be differences in how they're worked out in each local expression of church, you'll see a measure of each of these attributes in every church, or they're not a church at all. They're not a church at all, there's something else. And so this raises a key question, I think. So those are the kind of general reasons, the general purposes for any church. But what about specifically? What about Jubilee Church? Why do we need Jubilee Church? What's so important about us? I mean, if all churches have essentially the same purpose, then why is another one needed? There are so many other churches to choose from, some great churches even. So what is distinctive about us? What is our unique God-given purpose in the body of Christ? And this is something that I've noticed actually, uh, that although all churches exist for the same purpose, some churches stand out or are known for one or two specific purposes. And you can see this even in the Bible. So that's good, isn't it? In the book of Revelation, you've got the seven churches there. And you can see that they've got some very specific purposes. I was reading this a little while ago, and each of their distinctive purposes really stood out to me so that God knew why that church existed. And heaven knew what they were famous for because that's how they were addressed. So the church at Ephesus, you can see in Revelation 2.2, it says, I know your deeds and your hard work 
and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked men. The church at Smyrna in 2.12 says, I know your afflictions and your poverty and yet you're rich. The church at Pergamon, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. A very specific reference to where they were located. And then you have Thyatira, who are known in heaven for their deeds, love, service, and perseverance. You've got the Sardis church, known for their deeds too. And then you have Philadelphia, who are also known for their deeds, but very curiously have an open door for them that no one can shut, that I'm very curious about. And Laodicea, unfortunately, was known for something that wasn't great, their lukewarmness, which made God sick. Oh, I hope it's never us that's known for such a thing. But each of these churches were known for something. They were distinctive. It made them different from the others. You can see the same in the epistles. I was so tempted to go through all the epistles with you. Corinth, known for spiritual gifts, huge amounts of spiritual gifts. Antioch, incredibly multicultural, ascending church, and so on. Have a look for yourself. It's a fascinating study. And so that's what I'm interested in today. We've got these general purposes, but what about specifically? Why do we exist Uh, What is our main purpose? What is our motivation that makes us distinctive? What is it that makes Jubilee distinctive? I'm tempted to just throw open the floor and see what other people say now, but I think I'll probably know because I've done a little bit of a survey. I've asked around quite a few people. But here it is. The one thing, the one thing for us as a church is to be centered on the presence of God. To be a people that always prioritize this. That Jubilee will be known as a presence-centered church. That's the one thing, the one purpose that I think God has called us to. Sorry, is there any agreement out there? I'm just feeling a bit lonely up here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you know anything about me, you'll know that this has been one of my key messages. It's an obsession Uh, Because the presence of God has always played such an important part of my life. I grew up in an atmosphere of the presence of God. In a time of the moving of the Spirit, our home was always full of people who were presence chasers. Isn't that right, Mum and Dad? So often I remember going to bed hearing people worshipping on the stairs outside our bedroom. (laughs) People just lingering in the presence of God. And actually, until I went to another church in my late teens, I thought that that's what church was all about. That God would come, stuff would happen, lives would change, miracles would occur as a a natural outworking of the presence of God. Because where God is, stuff happens. You know that, don't you? But this isn't every church. It's my conviction for Jubilee today that we will be a people who both love, experience, and host the presence of God well, not workplaces. We were at a restaurant on Friday night. We impacted the restaurant together. Our family, the waitress came and said, I've never met a family like you. There's something about you. Do I know you? What is it about you? She said, I just feel so, I can't explain it. We carry his presence wherever we go. Why? Because lives get changed around priorities like that. 
And I can honestly say that there is no greater compliment for me than to hear a visitor say that they encountered God's presence amongst us. And my expectation is that his presence lingers in the building even after we've left. I'm expecting it to touch this conference center as we're here. For there to be a lingering sense of his presence as we leave. As you know, we recently moved out of Jago House. I'm refusing to say we lost our building. I'm not saying that anymore. We moved out of Jago House, but we left some presence there, I believe, for people to discover when they go. We had to show a government agency around the building, and as we walked into the prayer room, the lady there couldn't stop crying. She said, what is it about this room? What, what's going on in here? What are you doing to me? And we had to t- she had to come out of the room. She just couldn't handle it. The sense of the presence of God was what she described, but she didn't know what it was. And we had the opportunity to share with her, and she told us about her life. The presence lingers. That's my expectation. In our homes, in our places of work, you carry, because your Jubilee Church will carry the presence of God with you wherever you go. His presence, that's what I want. I want that to be our distinctive feature. And that's what Moses wanted for the people of God too when he was offered an angel instead of the actual presence of God. And that's really just shorthand for anything else. Any other messenger, any other strategy than God's actual manifest presence. And if you've been around the church any length of time, you'll know that this has always been a key passage for us in pursuing a presence-centered church. You remember that moment where Moses says to God in Exodus 32, 15, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. Because how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Do you know, I find it hard to think what else we would want to be distinguished by. I want us to be royally distinguished by his presence. Not by our size, not by our buildings, not by our music, not even by our preaching, but by a tangible, discernible sense of the presence of God who goes with us wherever we go. Why would we want it to be anything else. I came across a quote a while ago that really resonated with me, and I can't find who wrote it, but I think it might be Bill Johnson. But it was this. It says, somewhere in church history, the church started gathering around a sermon. The Bible tells us that Israel encamped around the presence God is bringing us to this place, it goes on, where we live conscious of God's presence with us. This will enable us to release his presence to society around us. That's why I want us to be located in the center of this town. Because I believe that something of God's presence will go out from us wherever we go. So just fairly quickly then, what have we done to build around this purpose. There is so much I could say. Look at the last 10 years is basically what I could say. But 
I'm going to try and limit myself to three key things, because you always have to do things in threes in sermons, apparently. So three key things, but you'll recognize all of these things if you've been in the church for any length of time, and the verses that we've built around, because you'll have heard them so many times, okay? So three key things for us to be a presence-centered church. Number one, that we are presence-founded, presence-led, and presence-filled. Three things, founded, led, and filled. First of all, presence founded. And in the early days of the church here, uh, I talked a lot about Ezekiel's temple, which is described in Ezekiel chapter 43. And I'm not going to turn to it now to save time, but you can read it yourself later. And I started talking about this early on, just after we launched the church. And I thought, I know how we'll get the presence of God. We'll just teach on this passage and declare his glory amongst us, that we're a church of his habitation, and boom, let's have it. Not so fast, the Holy Spirit said to me. Look what comes before chapter 43. Ah, yes, Holy Spirit, chapters 40 and 42. I read those chapters. This is what came before chapters 43. There's some work to do before you get to 43. The first thing that struck me in chapter 40 particularly was Ezekiel's obsession with measuring stuff. I don't like detail. I'm not interested in that kind of thing. I have to really work through these few passages. Measuring. It's almost the first thing he sees in his vision, chapter 40, verse 3. It's this glorious man, presumably an angel, with a measuring rod in his hand. And there he is, just measuring everything. Not just the temple, but a whole city he's measuring. Something of the significance of what they were doing was going to affect the whole city. And throughout all three chapters, that's all you get, measuring. He's measuring. He's getting dimensions. The length and thickness of the boundaries, the extent of them, how big it was going to be, the size and the number of the rooms, what they were going to be used for, the width of, the depth of the gates and the entrances, and so on. The kitchens, where they're situated, all this kind of detail. I was like, Lord, please, how much more? They're all described in this incredible detail, and they've got designs and decorations for the walls laid out. In fact, everything is there for the erection of a substantial number of buildings, so substantial that Ezekiel says in verse 2 that some of the buildings that alone look like a city. And this city, it says, was to be situated on the south side of a very high mountain. A city on a hill? That sounds like something Jesus talked about. A city on a hill. What was this all about? And I realized that this was a blueprint for the church, a blueprint that affects the whole city, a plan, a structure for the containment of all that was to come, principles to build by, clarity about its layout and its ordering. And that's because God's glory, his manifest tangible presence, doesn't fill a void doesn't fill nothing. His presence doesn't come and go like the ebb and flow of the tide. No, it comes to fill something. It comes to possess a people. A people who are the foundation stones and the pillars of the church. A people who need to be taught continually about the significance of who they are, the full extent of what they have got, 
and vision for what they're called to do. So these key teachings, these foundational structures grow together to contain the work of God, and then the glory comes. Then his glory comes. Spirit, word, and action coming together. It rests on people like that. It's contained there. It's held in that place. So back in 2010, as we planted this church, that's what we did. We laid a foundation like this with the people that were there over the next two or three years. We just kept talking about stuff to do with identity and dependence on the Holy Spirit, all these basic things. And then there came a certain point where I then felt to bring the church together and I taught from, finally managed to get to chapter 43 about the glory of God filling the temple. And then together we invited the glory of God to come and fill his church, the church that we now call Jubilee. We were meeting in St. John's Hotel at the time. I can never forget that Sunday. As we invited his glory to come, there was gold dust that fell on some of the chairs. Some people were overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord, laughing with joy. Some people had oil on their hands and on their faces. But most importantly, there was an imminence of his presence that came and it has never left us. I'm going to read that chapter to you again at the end today. I'm just going to read that over you again. And so you need to know that Jubilee Church was intentionally presence-founded. And we're still standing, building, and working from that foundation today. We're still teaching and living out of those foundational principles too. Because, you see, God's glory doesn't come to fill a void. It comes to fill something, someone, a people who know who they are, who know what they've got, and get what they've got. They understand it, and they live out of it. Secondly, being a presence-centered church means that we are to be presence-led. Here's another really well-known verse. Apparently, I say this all the time, but here we go. One of the most amazing things to me about Jesus is the astonishing revelation he makes to his disciples one day in John chapter 5, where he turns to his disciples after they've just witnessed one of the most incredible miracles ever. A man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years gets up. And he says, I tell you the truth, I can't do this by myself. (laughs) Jesus said, the son can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. That's John 5, 19 to 20. You recognize that verse? said it a few times around the church. Jesus says he can't do anything of himself, and yet he is God. And yet, most of us think we can get along pretty well without it. We know what we're doing. We can work it out. We can make it happen. Jesus, I can't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. And I want us to be a people who do what Jesus did and look at what the Father is doing and do that. This is about a determination to remain dependent on God. It means that we wait until we know 
or we go before we know. (laughs) You know, when the revelation of the Father comes in any given situation, we act. This has meant over the years that sometimes things have been delayed. Other times they've been accelerated. So right early on we thought, we're going to start a toddler group. We've got it all organized. This is when it's going to start. It's going to be about four months' time. Next day, somebody calls us. Within a week, we've started a toddler group, and all the stuff to run that toddler group has been given to us because the Father was doing it at a different pace to us. He seems to do it slower than I want, mostly, but there are these times. Wonderful. Jubilee, we want to be presence-led, not driven when it comes to church. We, we, want us to, we want to see what the Father is doing and then do that, to sense his presence in the work of the church so that we end up working with him, not for him. With him, alongside him. That's what he invites us to. Come with me. Come with me. And I think this sense of dependence is a lot to do with how we started in the early days. It wasn't long after starting Jubilee. I realized, and I had to stand in the church and say, Guys, I have no idea what I'm doing. I haven't a clue. I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. And so, for so many years, that was part of my vision talk. Guys, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to follow the Holy Spirit. And I say it to people when they came to look at the church. You're welcome to come, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Just trying to follow the Holy Spirit. And, it, and then it got to a point a few years ago... I felt like, actually, you know, I think I probably do know a bit about what I'm doing now. Maybe I need to stop saying that. Maybe we as a team need to stop saying that. I thought maybe I'm undermining the leadership of the church by saying that. So I stopped. Within a few months, I started to feel really restless and dull and uninspired in, in my leadership. And it was in prayer, and I've Actually, written it down because I wouldn't confess this otherwise, probably. It was a year later, so there's a whole year of pretty dull and uninspired leadership in the church by the sound of it. It was just before a Sunday morning meeting, which I didn't want to go to, when God says, I liked when you used to say that you didn't know what you were doing. And he went on to say, that thought that you had didn't come from me. You've believed a lie. I never said that. He said, you've begun to become too confident in your own ability and I want my church back. Guys, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just saying that right now. (laughs) I can still hear that word. It resonates. You know, as I visit other churches, as I meet with leaders, as I stand with leaders who've got burned in leadership and burnt out from leadership, I hear the Holy Spirit whispering, tell them, to give the church back to me. Jesus says, I will build my church, but we think it's our job. (laughs) But he's given us the key to all ministry when he says, I can do nothing by myself. So why do we think it's any different for us? I can honestly say that not having a clue is really helping me right now when I have no idea what we're going to do about the building. Got no idea. I just know that it's completely in his hands and I can rest in that. He's got it. He has got it. And all he says is, I want you just to keep praying about this because there's a bit of a battle for it, especially if we're going to be a present-centered church in the heart of this town. Amen? 
Finally and briefly, we're about building a people who are presence-filled. So what we had, presence-founded, presence-led, presence-filled. That's what it means to be a presence-filled church. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel, but don't go. Not until you've received power from the Father that will enable you to be witnesses. That verse is so important, it's repeated twice. Luke 24, 48, Acts 1, 8. Go, but don't go. And of course, we read about the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. This group of believers are all together in an upper room, just like we are, united in heart and purpose, when suddenly there's a roaring wind, the heavens are ripped open, and the Holy Spirit falls as fire which splits over them, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. His presence comes, and he visits them, not just in the air around them, not just that tangible feeling of his presence. He comes to fill them and to make each one of them individually temples of his presence and then corporately together as the church, the dwelling place of God on earth. That's what the church is. I said earlier that I was raised in an atmosphere of the presence of God. In in my home, his presence was all around us. I tried to be a rebel and go to discos and stuff as a teenager. And, but it was his presence that I missed and what kept drawing me back. I wanted to be in his presence. But despite all of this, I, I was riddled with fear. There's a whole load of reasons but I was paralyzed with fear and anxiety. And one day, my dad said to me, he said, I think you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, why didn't anybody tell me this before? <laughs> but for some reason, I'd missed the memo, and I never knew that I could ask for it. So if you missed the memo, here it is. You can ask for his presence to live inside of you. And don't assume your kids know by osmosis. Make sure you tell them about it. You can be full of the Holy Spirit. So I just simply knelt by my bed at that time and I asked, I said, Holy Spirit, will you come and fill me? Nothing dramatic happened. I didn't fall over and laugh or anything else, but I just felt the most incredible peace on the inside. It was for the first time in my life that I wasn't afraid anymore. And the peace that I felt in my home was now inside of me. Some of you need that today. I think some of you need that today. His presence on the inside. And even today, this peace has become a sign to me so that if I'm not walking closely with God, I start to lose my peace. So do you know how important it is to be continually filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit? For us to grow to be a church that is presence-filled too. When we come together, I want it to be a, a conglomeration of people full of the presence of God. Not just one person trying to get everybody full. Cranking up the worship. Come on, guys! How, what a difference if lots of streams come together and then they begin to worship and the river floods out. 
from one to another to another to another. That's where the healing comes. That's where the miracles happen in that kind of gathering. There used to be a real emphasis on the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but this is being lost in some places. We mustn't allow this to be lost. This is so important. This is something to contend for, to keep speaking about. We'll often just say uh, when we gather, in any kind of gathering, let's just take a moment just to get filled with the Spirit, shall we? Let's just turn to one another, just lay your hands on one another. Let's just encourage one another. That's why we do it. We're expressing to God and anybody else who's looking, we are completely dependent upon his presence, upon his spirit in our lives. So we must do this. It's essential to have Christians that are presence-filled. Otherwise, we end up with good people, but no power. Good people, but no power to live or to do the Christian life. We need to be presence-led. So here we go. Here's our distinctive purpose, Jubilee. To build a presence-centered church. A people who are founded, led, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you up for that? Filled with his presence. Is that you? Are you in? (laughs) Because that's what we're going for. That's what's motivating us. That's what we want to take out of here when we go to work on Monday. I'm a presence carrier. Say that to yourself. I am a presence carrier. Thank you, Jesus. My expectation is that as you go to the supermarket, as you go into your workplace, whether you're a school teacher like Pam or whatever, you take that anointing with you. Amen? So let's invite him to come and fill us again. Let's be presence lovers of his presence. We carry his presence. And, and do you know, I, I was really struggling about whether I should say, Actually, it's about building a supernatural culture because that's so much part of what we're also called to do. But I realize that one flows out of the other. When we have his presence at the center of all that we do, then the miracles come out of that. The healings, the deliverances, the freedom come out of the centrality of his presence in our lives. So I just want to read to you um, Ezekiel 43 again. just want to read it over you. This is a key passage for us as a church. Can you just stand with me as a, as a sign of acknowledgement, as a sign of respect, I guess, of this word uh, to us as a church? Ezekiel 43 says this. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roaring of rushing waters and the The vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city. Like the visions I'd seen by the river and I fell face down. Glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the amazing thing is is that as the glory filled the temple, as it goes on to say that the, the, the glory began to leak out. It began to go out. It began to go and affect the environment around it. It began to affect the rivers, the environment, literally 
the environment. Father, come and fill us again. But Lord, we want to take it out. Father, I pray that we'd have that tangible conviction in our hearts of who we are and what we carry. Father, as we go to work on Monday, Father, affect everything around us. As we go to school, as we go to college, Holy Spirit, that peace would just come like Ellie was just sharing with us early, earlier. We impact people around us, not because we're clever or we, we've got it all together, but because of you being with us. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on us for this. Thank you, Jesus. Just come and fill us again right now. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to wait for him for a few minutes. I think there might be a few people with prophetic words as well who want to just come and prophesy now or share words. I'm just saying that completely without knowing that, but I just had a sense that the prophetic has just been amongst us as well as we've been hearing this message. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If, if, you're, if you're comfortable with this, just put your hand on the person next to you. I'm just going to pray blessing. If you don't want to be touched, then that's absolutely fine as well. I just believe that there's going to be an increase in this anointing right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, let the anointing flow. The glory of God, the manifest presence of God, the power of God that's come to rest here. Let it flow amongst us, we pray in greater measure. And Father, affect this town. Affect this region, we pray. Affect this nation. Let your presence burst out, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Cause it to break out from under the foundations, to go and affect the environment all around us, Father. I pray that we be confident people because you're with us. Not because we're arrogant, think we've got it all together, but because you are with us, that you are for us, and your power and your presence is upon us. In Jesus' holy name, thank you, Father.